Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. so much again for being here this morning, for your patience with us as we try to work through these things today. But, uh, you know, we're excited to be here and worship no matter what happens, amen, because God is greater. And, uh, you know, as we're looking at uh, these models of greatness this series, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in our hearts and our lives as a result of that. You know, uh, the things that we value here at Peckway Church is 
being able to see lives transformed as we connect with God and with one another. And so it's a very important value for us. And so that's the reason that we have inside of our bulletin this morning, that green connection card. I'm going to invite us all to take that out. You know, we all have our preferences of how we like to connect. And so this is one way. But uh, another way that you can connect this morning is by text and church. And we're going to put that on the screen today. If you are a first time guest with us today, you can just simply text the word hello to the phone number 717-872-5679. I forgot we can't put that on the screen. But again, at 717-872-5679. And you can text that as well. Online, uh, if you guys are able to view with us this morning, you can connect with us as well. Go to the website, reach out and say hello. But uh, this is a great way that we can do that, that we can make that connection because it's a very important thing that we, as the body of Christ, be able to lift one another up and encourage one another. Well, as I said, we're going to be talking uh, more again about this models of greatness, these people that we've been looking at their lives and how God used them and, uh, and built character and uh, things in their lives. And so today we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And this is the Joseph in Genesis that we're talking about, the, the guy with the coat of many colors. If you grew up with that story or maybe you've seen the Broadway musical, I don't know. There's many things that you, you could have had this touch with Joseph. But Joseph had a lot of things in his life, right? Uh, some of the things, his brother sold him into slavery. Uh, he was in prison for many, many, many years. But then God rose him up as he built his character and, um, and as he became... Uh, you know, he was doing things in, in the prison as he was there. They saw this potential and what God was building into his life. And eventually, he was Pharaoh's second-hand man, you know. And so, but it was because of the choices that Joseph made. And so, the choice that we're going to look at today is he chose to live a life of integrity. And what is integrity? Integrity is who you are when nobody's looking. You know, we could make those little choices and think, ah, just this one time is not going to hurt but it does. There's a ripple effect. And so, um, so maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've made these choices in your life that you're like, ah, I didn't really live a life of integrity. It's not too late. We can still do that. And so the songs that we're going to sing about today are talking about those impossible things in our lives that we might feel that God can't change that. That's a mountain in my life, and it can't be moved. But I'm here today to encourage you and tell you that God does do that. He moves those mountains, and uh, he makes a way for us. So I know you don't have the words today, so I'm going to let you be seated. Just let us sing to you today, and if you know the lyrics, please sing along with us. Worship the Lord in that way, but there's many other ways besides just singing. Amen? So let's continue worshiping and celebrating the Lord today. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a 
our prayer today that we're going to believe for greater things because of the power of the name of Jesus. I will believe. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater to believe today and so we have a song you may have heard it on Christian radio but we're going to continue talking about those mountains that God can move and so the world might say that can't happen you can't change there's nothing that you can do and in one way they're right in our own strength and our own power we can't change anything but when we believe God for it when we trust him in faith that's when things can change in our lives so if you know it sing along with us if not just let the words of these songs uh, just flow over you today and encourage you to believe God for the power to be able to do it. They say this 
today that you will believe for it because God is making a way. So let's sing this one last song together uh, before Pastor Jerry comes and talks about integrity. Even when I don't see it, you're working. 
we thank you that that is who you are. Father, that you are making a way in this place today. Father, as we look at your word, uh, God, as we see, um, God, the choices that you place before us, that you give us the power, uh, Father, to be able to do, God. Help us to see in Joseph's life uh, the choice that he made and the reasons he did that, Father, how you strengthened him, uh, Father, how you use the things in his life to build character and all of these things, Father, uh, this model of greatness and how you used his life. God, may we see uh, that at work today as we hear your word and we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Old habits die hard without even turning around. I about said you may be seated and then I realized you're already seated. Anyhow, it's, it's good to be with you today. I want to say welcome, whether you're watching online or here in the building, as we continue the series that we've been calling Models of Greatness. And if this is new to you, if this is your first time here or maybe the first time kind of tuning in online, then let me just kind of tell you what the series is about. What the series is all about is we're looking at five of the most important, most significant choices that you and I can make in life related to greatness to living a great life, and we're doing it through the lens of three men and two women who truly live by any and every standard, personally, professionally, relationally, live great lives. So they're really acting as models for you and for me. And so what I thought we would do today to get us started is we would take a little quiz. Now, I know probably collectively when it grown, so go ahead and do that, but let me just give you some fun questions, and you can just kind of answer these either in your mind or if you have space on the back of your outline, you can write them down. But here's the first question. Um, name the five wealthiest people in the world. Write them down. Think about them. I'll give you number one, Elon Musk. Okay, that's number one. Uh, I, I won't keep going, but who are the five wealthiest people in the world today? Okay, take just a second and write those down. Think about them. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. The second question is for you football fanatics, and here it is. List the last five Heisman Trophy winners. The last five Heisman Trophy winners. Some of you are going, you've got to be kidding me. I, I could tell you the last five years of rut dates, but I couldn't name the last five <laughs> Heisman Trophy winners. But write them down, guys. Some of you, some of you gals, some of you guys I know have those at the top of your mind. Here's the third question. List the last five winners of the Miss America contest. Who are the last five winners of the Miss America contest? Okay, take a second and write those down. Some of you are going to wait for me in the parking lot. I can tell by looking at you. This gets better, trust me. Here's the last one. Here's the very last question. Name 10, and there were 13 last year, name 10 Nobel Prize winners. Now, this has been going on since 1920-something. There are anywhere from 10 to 15, 20 a year. So I'm asking you to name 10. 
of the Nobel Prize winners. And not just the piece, it could be, you know, physics, it could be in medicine, I don't care, it could be in literature. Name 10 of the people who have won the Nobel Prize. Okay? Now, let me ask you the question. How'd you do on the quiz? <laughs> if you're like me, you flunked it. I mean, I maybe, you know, I think there's a 25 possible points if we give one point for each. I think I got about three. Um, you know, that's just the reality. But here's what I want you to do. Step back from those questions. Step back from maybe that sense of failure that some of you who are type A high achievers are feeling right now. Step back from that. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think what those four questions have in common. And I suggest to you one of the things that all four questions have in common is they all really are so-called marks of greatness. Marks of greatness that many people in our culture, in our society, aspire to long to achieve at some point, and yet here's the thing. Most of us can't remember them, right? And which tells me, and I think would tell you, that maybe they aren't the best benchmarks there are for greatness, that maybe there are better marks of greatness than awards, wealth, and achievement. So let me give you a second quiz that maybe will redeem the first one, and I promise you you'll do better on this one. Here's the first question, this next set of four questions. I want you to name five teachers who positively made an influence in your life. I don't care, it could be elementary, it could be preschool, it could be high school. Name five teachers somewhere across your education who made a positive influence upon your life. Give you a second to do that. Okay, now let me give you the second question. I want you to identify five friends who at some point in your life help you through what you would call, what you would identify is a difficult time, a trying situation, a loss of a loved one, the disappointment, a, a setback in a career. Five friends that at some point helped you in a difficult situation. Okay? Write those down. Think about them. Here's the next question, third question. I want you to think about five people, name five people, who at some point in your life made you feel valued and appreciated. Okay? Five people. Now, here is the big point question. I want you to identify 10 people whose life you would like to emulate, whose example you'd like to follow. If there's something in their life, there's something about them that you would like to, to follow, that you'd like to emulate, that you'd like to see present in your own life. Okay? Now, here's the question. Did you do better on the second quiz than you did the first quiz? We're all going, absolutely. If you're like me, you, you knocked it out of the park. But here's the thing. Here's what I want you to notice. Most of the people, probably all the people on your list, are not people who are known for wealth or achievement or have some kind of award or title attached to their name. And yet you remember them. Why? I'll tell you why. The same reason they're on my list. Because they're people who made a positive, impactful difference in our lives. They were people, by our definition, of true greatness. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What I really want to do, and the reason we gave you, I gave you both those quizzes, I really want to talk to you about a choice for greatness that quite often isn't talked about a great deal in our culture. And here's why. Because it's not a metric that's used to select Heisman Trophy winners. It's not a metric used to, to select who is going to be the next Miss America. It's not a metric used to decide who does or doesn't receive a Nobel Prize, whether in literature or for peace or physics or medicine. It, it isn't used in it, and yet it's a metric that I promise you every one of us use when we determine in our lives who's truly great, who truly made a difference 
in our life. That's what we're going to explore today. And with the person who's going to model it for us, as you've already figured out, if you looked at your outline or listened to Pastor Scott, the person who's going to model that choice for us is Joseph. And Scott was right. It's not Joseph that was you know, married to Mary, the, the earthly father of Jesus, but Joseph in the book of Genesis. And if you're not familiar with him, let me just tell you about him, because he is truly one of my heroes. He is one of the most important figures in the entire Old Testament. And I say that based on this fact that no other person in the book of Genesis is given more space, more attention than Joseph. Abraham isn't, Sarah isn't, Isaac isn't, um, you know, Noah isn't, I don't care, Adam and Eve. None of them get the space that Joseph does in the book of Genesis because is that significant to salvation history? Is that significant to the work of God in this world? But here's what I want you to know. Joseph didn't start out great. In fact, he, he accomplished greatness, and Scott pointed that out to us. But he didn't start that out that way. In fact, his early life was marked by disappointment and hostility. If you know his story, then you know his brothers despised him. They hated him, and he maybe cultivated some of that by his, his coat of many colors and his bragging and his you know, not knowing when to keep his mouth shut. But the reality is Joseph had hostility. His brothers had hostility toward him. They hated him to the point that they not only staged his death, but then they sold him into slavery. And Joseph, as a slave, being sold into slavery, was taken to Egypt, which you need to know was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. I mean, it was the true superpower of the day. And when he arrived in Egypt, he was sold to a royal official, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. And that man's name was Potiphar. Now, because Joseph was sharp, because he was intelligent, because he was quick, he quickly rose up the ranks of being a slave in Potiphar's household to the point that he, he arrived at the apex. He became the chief steward, the man in charge of all of Potiphar's house, all of his goods, all of his, if you will, his business dealings. It says in Genesis that Potiphar worried about nothing when Joseph was in charge, when Joseph was present. He rose to the very top. And I share that because it was in that moment, in that context, that Joseph made a choice. A choice that set him up for greatness and a choice, in fact, that ultimately one day led him to stand in front of Pharaoh and for Pharaoh to appoint him the second most powerful man in the world. It was his right-hand man. He was second only in Egypt to Pharaoh himself. That was the context. So here's the question we need to ask. What was the choice that Joseph made? What was it that he chose that kind of set him up for greatness? Well, let's find out. Let's begin reading. If you haven't taken out your outline, I encourage you to do so. But take your outline out or turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, and let's begin reading with verse 6. For here's what we read. It says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. That got my wife's attention. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now let's just stop there, folks, because I know and you know, as adults, that this would have been a difficult and trying situation for anyone. But I would suggest you it was especially difficult for Joseph for two reasons. And let me give you the reason. The first one was, given his power, given his position, given his wealth, I promise you, Potiphar could have his choice of any, women, any woman for a wife. And so I could promise you, almost with certainty, that his wife wasn't just attractive. She was drop-dead gorgeous. 
And the second thing we need to understand, the reason this was a particularly difficult and trying situation for Joseph, because at this moment in his life, if we really kind of tr trace out the historical narrative, probably at this point in his life, Joseph was at the most his early 20s, which means you know and I know, I'm a parent of two of them, he, he was at that stage where his hormones were raging, Right? And so here we have this beautiful woman with, with this young man with his hormones at their peak, and she says to him seductively, come to bed with me. Now, the reality is, folks, that was difficult. But let me ask you a question, and please do not answer this out loud. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation? Now, I'm not talking about being possibly seduced by someone else. What I'm talking about, have you ever been in a situation, and I know you have, to where you have been tempted to do something that you know was wrong, but every fiber in your being wanted to do it. Have you ever been in a situation, folks, to where maybe it was, I don't know, as a student, that you were tempted to cheat on an exam? Maybe you were filling out your taxes and you were tempted to cheat financially. Maybe you were tempted to steal some money that really wasn't yours which I guess is the definition of stealing, right? <laughs> Were you ever tempted to lie on an application, to fudge on, on, on I don't know, on, on a resume? The reality is probably every one of us at some point has been tempted in those ways. And yet the reality is, to our credit, most of us don't end up lying, end up stealing, end up, you know, cheating because we have in that moment, we exercise and choose integrity. But here's what I know. We all have those opportunities. We all are faced with those opportunities to do something that we know is wrong, but what makes it so tempting is we're also convinced we know that in all likelihood we could get away with it. Because no one will ever see, no one will ever tell, no one will ever be the wiser. So here's the question we need to ask in that contest historically. So what did Joseph do? How did he respond? Well, let's keep reading and find out. Look at verse 8. Here's what we read next. After she came to him and said to him, Come to bed with me, he said, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has, has, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then... Could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Well, there it is for us, folks. There clearly laid out to us in those four verses is the choice that Joseph made. And the choice was the choice for integrity. But here's the thing, and here's what I want you to notice, and it's important that we notice that it wasn't a public choice. And I say that because you know and I know public choices like that are easy, aren't they? I mean, it's easy to say no when we have others watching, when they would see our moral failures, they would see our compromise. No, Joseph's choice was a private choice. And those choices are far more difficult to make, aren't they? They're far more challenging because we suspect that no one will ever know. And here's the thing that, again, that I say this choice was so difficult for jo Joseph because he didn't make that choice once. He made that choice over and over 
and over again. You say, where do you get that, Jerry? Well, look at verse 10. It, it make, very clearly tells us that Pharaoh, Potiphar's rather, Potiphar's wife came to Joseph repeatedly, again and again, whenever no one was around. Which is why Pastor Scott was absolutely right. The very best definition of integrity, the very best definition of in character is this, who we are when no one is looking, when no one can see what we're doing. So the question we need to ask, again, in this context, in, in this narrative is, so who was Joseph when no one was looking? And clearly, without a doubt, Joseph was a man of character. He was a man of integrity because he consistently, repeatedly, willfully, continually chose integrity. And that really sets us up for me to say this to you, and I think it's important that we get, folks, integrity is not so much something you and I have as much as it is something you and I choose over and over and over again. See, it's misleading. Yes, we have integrity. We speak about having integrity, but really what we're saying is we're choosing integrity, and we're choosing it repeatedly, continually, constantly, and yes, even willfully. But the question could be, why does integrity really matter all that much? I mean, that truly is a question, believe it or not, in our culture today, among the millennials, among young adults, and even older adults. The question is, why does it really matter? And I would suggest to you, at least on the first level, that all you need to do to answer that question is look at the lives of the people in our culture today. Just go on your favorite news feed and begin to go down through the news feeds of all the people who have shipwrecked their lives and shipwrecked their reputations because of lack of integrity. I'll give you, for instance, it's literally what I did yesterday. I just got on the news feed, just got on my, on my favorite news channel, and I just simply went through it. And so here's what I would say to you. So just go ask Como, Andrew Como, if integrity matters. For that matter, go ask his brother Chris Como, does integrity matter? Go and ask Harvey Weinstein if integrity matters. Go and ask Bill Cosby, Jesse Smollett, Urban Myers, the staff of the CDC, if integrity matters. But most importantly, just go ask God in his word if integrity matters. And I share that because, folks, that's what fueled Joseph's choice. That's what fueled his decision because he recognized integrity truly does matter. But take a look at what he says. He said, for when, how could then I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? In other words, Joseph's choice for integrity flowed out of his relationship with God because Joseph understood that God not only knew and was watching but that God saw everything. In other words, there was no door that he could close, no window he could pull blinds over that would keep God from seeing what would go on. He knew God was watching, and he also knew that God would reward his choice for integrity because God always rewards the life of integrity. So one of the key takeaways I suggest to you right now in this part of the story is simply this, that real greatness, the greatness that truly matters when no one else is looking is when we're someone who God is pleased with. That's what real integrity is about, is you and I being somebody, when no one else is looking, that pleases God, that honors God. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story of Joseph's life, then let me just give it to you in a nutshell, and Pastor Scott did a great job of it, but let me just reiterate, because the best part of learning is repetition. So let me give you the short version of what happened to Joseph from this moment forward. Potiphar's wife, with his cloak in her hands, accused him of attempted rape. 
And any husband in here, any father in here could understand how Potiphar reacted. He was furious. He was enraged. And so he had Joseph thrown into prison. But even after all that mistreatment, Joseph continued to act and live with integrity. And so we're told that the prison warden noticed this about him and did what Potiphar did. He put him in charge of the entire prison. All the responsibilities of the prison was given to Joseph. And once again, just like we read about Potiphar, it says the warden didn't worry about anything with Joseph in charge because he was a man of integrity. And one of the people that he was in charge of, there were many, but one of the people he was in charge of in the prison was, the, was the Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. And through a process that I won't have time to go through, you could read about it this afternoon in, in chapter 40 of Genesis, but th this, this cupbearer was ultimately released and reinstated in the service of Pharaoh. And some time passed, and the truth is that the cupbearer forgot Joseph, but then Pharaoh had a dream. A dream that he needed to interpret. So in other words, Pharaoh needed someone with integrity, someone he could trust because someone could give him an interpretation that was false, that was misleading. He needed someone he could trust. And it was in that moment that the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And he told Pharaoh about Joseph. And so Joseph was brought from the prison, stood in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh shared the dream. Joseph interpreted the dream with integrity, offered great wise counsel. And the Pharaoh said, we need someone to implement this and I pick you. And suddenly, Joseph was second in command, the second most powerful man in Egypt. And you say, what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal about that. Because what the dream was about was a famine. And Joseph's counsel that he gave was how to survive the famine, how to prepare for it, then how to, to administrate things, the food that was put up, so that people survived. And as a result, he not only saved Egypt... But once again, like we saw last week with Esther, God used Joseph this time to save his people, to save the entire Jewish race. And here's the point, folks. All of those great deeds, all of those incredible things that happened in his life can be traced back to Joseph's choice for integrity, to be a man of integrity. So I hope at this point you're asking, like I did in my preparation, going, so how can we have integrity? What can we do? What do we need to choose to keep and have integrity in our life. And what I want to say to you this morning, let's keep learning from Joseph. Because he modeled for us five key decisions and choices that we can make to keep integrity functioning in our life in the midst of even horrific situations, in the midst of the most difficult times in our life. So let me give them to you. Here's the first key that Joseph modeled for us is to choose integrity from the start. To choose integrity from the start. Take a look at what we read next, going back once again to the text. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused, underlined that, but he refused. In other words, Joseph did not give in to her seduction because he did not even toy with the idea of compromising his integrity. He didn't even toy with it. He didn't give it a second thought. But let me ask you a question. What if he had? What if he had played with the idea? What if he had said to himself, I wonder how close I could get to crossing line without actually crossing it? So what if he had allowed himself to flirt with her? What if he had allowed himself to be alone with her, even as unwise as he knew it was? What if he had allowed her, himself to hold her, perhaps even kiss her? And then suddenly in the midst of that, then when she offered this seduction to come to bed with me, he tried to draw back. 
He tried to suddenly at that point draw a line in the sand and say, no, I won't go that way. How difficult do you think that would have been for him? Again, knowing human nature, knowing us the way we know one another and we know ourselves, it would have been near impossible, wouldn't it? At that point, it would have been almost impossible. And I say that because, folks, that's why what we learned very first from Joseph, it's absolutely crucial that we choose integrity from the get-go, right out of the gate. Because it's in that moment that choosing integrity is the best and the easiest choice to make. It doesn't get any easier. It only gets harder the farther we go from that initial moment of decision. And so we need to choose it. That's the first thing Joseph models for us. We need to choose integrity from the start when honestly it truly is. It doesn't feel that way, but it truly is the easiest in that moment. The second key Joseph modeled for us is to think about others. We need to think about others. Again, let's go on, verses 8 and 9. Take a look at what it says. He said, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing? Now listen, folks. When Joseph said no to Potiphar's wife, he told her one of the reasons why. And very clearly, he said, one of the reasons why, one of the key reasons why, is it will devastate your husband. It will destroy your relationship and my relationship with him. And folks, you know and I know he was absolutely right. We know he was right. But listen to me. When your integrity is being tested or when I feel my integrity is being tested, are we typically thinking about ourselves or other people? Let's be honest. We're thinking about ourselves, right? Intensely, acutely. And that's why we need, at the very start, to keep our mind focused on the people who will be harmed if we choose to compromise our integrity. Because you know and I know, folks, that sin, most sins, in fact all sins, are acutely self-centered acts. They're focused on personal pleasure, personal gratification, which means the very best antidote to that temptation in your life and mine, in those moments, especially in these situations that Joseph faith, is we think about our wife. We think about our husband. We think about our kids. We think about our parents. We think about our friends. We think about our family. We think about all the people who will suffer because of our choice to sin, because of our choice to compromise. We think about others. Joseph models that for us. The third key that Joseph modeled for us is we see wickedness for what it is. We see wickedness for what it is. Joseph said this, how could I do such a wicked thing. And the reason I share that with you folks, what we need to take from that is Joseph knew that integrity was called for. And the reason he knew integrity was called for is because he knew Potiphar's suggestion and seduction was absolutely evil. It was absolutely wrong. It was wicked. And Joseph recognized that. So here's the question. Again, answer it for yourself, but here's the question. Do we see wickedness in the same way? Do we see it for what it really is? Evil and wicked. And the reason I ask you that question and encourage you to answer it for yourself is this reason, folks. If we don't see wickedness for what it is, we will never choose integrity. We just won't. Let me give you a little research to back that up. 
About a decade ago, in a massive, massive study of young adults, at that time, 18 to 24, so now, really, these individuals in this study are in their late 20s and and mid-30s, okay? The reality is, folks, Christian Smith was the researcher's name, he's a sociologist, and what he discovered, please listen to these stats, he found that six out of 10, in other words, 60% of those young adults he interviewed said moral rights and wrongs are entirely a matter of personal opinion. Right and wrong, 60% of those young adults said entirely personal opinion. And it went on. And he also found that one out of three, so 33% of those young adults also said, to be honest with you, I don't have the slightest clue what makes something right or wrong. 33%. Let me give you a couple examples. Here's what one young adult said, a young man. He said, I don't think lying is wrong necessarily. It's life. People lie. That's my view on the whole thing. Everyone's done it. It's not going to go away. Another young man said this, I'll do whatever I need to do to get ahead in this world while I'm here. In other words, the end justifies the means. Whatever it takes. If i got to lie, if i got to steal... If i got to deceive, so be it. Success is more important. And finally, one young woman said this, I do what I think will make me happy or how I feel. Now listen to this, for I have no other way of knowing what to do but how I internally feel. That's where my decisions come from. They come from inside me. Folks, contrast that with Joseph, because Joseph's decisions did not come from inside him. They came from outside him. They came from what he understood God had to say about right and wrong, about moral and immoral choices. And that brings us to the fourth key that Joseph models for us when it comes to choosing integrity, and that is we need to remember God. We need to remember God. You see, when, again, let's go back to Joseph's no to Potiphar's wife. When he said no to her, he truly was getting at the very heart of the matter. For he said, how could I do such a wicked thing? Now notice this, underline this next part, and sin against God. And so he recognized it wasn't simply an offense against Potiphar and, his, and their relationship. He understood at the very root of it all, Joseph understood that sinning like that, giving into that seduction, was a sin against God. He understood that he was in a relationship with God. And that choice to give in to her seductive suggestions to sleep with her would destroy that relationship. Joseph understood that. And again, he understood that because Joseph believed that God was omniscient. In other words, God sees it all, knows it all. And so there was no door that could be hid. There was no secret that could be kept. There was no way that what he was going to do or was being tempted to do, God would not know about. And so Joseph said, no. And let me give you the final key in light of that. And this is a crucial key that he modeled for us. When it comes to choosing integrity, Joseph chose to remove himself from the situation. And if there's anything we need to learn in our culture today, it's this principle right here. Take a look at what we read next. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the other household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hands and ran out of the house. Now what I see in that passage is this, folks. Joseph possessed 
a healthy sense of his own weakness and vulnerabilities. And for that reason, Joseph was unwilling to take any chances when it came to his weaknesses, which is why what we read in verse 10 is so important, because again, look at it, it says he refused to even be with her. In other words, he wouldn't even allow himself to be in the same room with her alone. And when that didn't work, we're told at the very end in verse 12 that he literally ran out of the room from her. He ran away from her. He fled. So let me ask you, let me ask myself in light of that, where do you and I need to have that same sense, healthy sense of self-awareness about our own vulnerabilities and weaknesses? Where do you and I need to build some fences in our lives and refuse to ever cross them? Is it while we're online? Is it while we're filling out our taxes? Is it while we're submitting our professional reimbursements? Where do we need to have a healthy sense of our own weaknesses and vulnerability and build boundaries there? Where do you and I, like Joseph did, know that there are places that we just simply cannot trust ourselves to go? Where, folks, do we need to flee sources of temptation in our life? Well, let's review, because here's what Joseph taught us. First of all, he taught us, he modeled for us, integrity is something we need to choose right out of the gate. We don't wait until we get in over our head, until we get into serious trouble. We choose integrity from the start. Number two, Joseph models for us folks that we choose integrity by considering how our actions, how our compromises will impact the people we know and love and care about. Number three, Joseph models for you and he models for me that we choose in care, uh, integrity by seeing wickedness for what it really is. Sin, plain and simple. Four, Joseph models for us that we choose integrity by remembering God. By remembering God that we have a relationship with him and sin severs that relationship. And finally, Joseph models for us that we choose integrity by removing ourselves from any and every source of temptation in our life. We don't put it in our mouth, as one of my professors used to say, like a lifesaver and roll it around and savor it. We just don't go there. We simply remove ourselves from the temptation. And those five things, if we boil them all down, what Joseph ultimately models for us is that integrity is a choice. A choice that each and every single one of us can make. And when we choose it, Joseph shows us, the narrative teaches us that God also makes a choice. And the choice God makes in that moment is to honor the person of integrity. To make them truly great. Now probably not with Heisman's and Miss America Awards and Nobel Peace Prizes. But to make us great in a way that truly matters. In a way that will make a positive, compelling, eternal difference in someone else's life. That will live a life honoring to God. Will live a life that people truly will remember. Folks, that's the price of choosing integrity. That's the reward of choosing integrity. My encouragement to you and to me at the start of this year, whatever we're facing, whatever we're dealing with, let's choose integrity. Let's bow our heads for prayer.
Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for your wisdom in preserving the story of Joseph because there's so, so much we can learn from it. But Father, the thing today that we focused in on is that pivotal moment in his life when he rejected Potiphar's wife's seduction and advances and simply said no. And it's so important because we recognize that each and every one of us, myself included, each and every one of us face moments like that. Moments when our integrity will be put to the test. But Father, as we follow Joseph's story, as we learn from his example, we learn that when we choose integrity, you will, you will, you will honor us. You'll honor the choice. And so, Father, in this moment, I pray that we will learn from the example of those in our culture who have literally shipwrecked their lives, their reputation, and tore their families apart because of a lack of integrity. But we don't want to stop there. We also want to pray that you would help us learn from the example of Joseph, who guarded his integrity. And because of that, you honored him by elevating him to a place of greatness, both professionally, personally, and spiritually. So, Father, today, as we move through this series, help us add to the, to the list of choices we're learning to make through the examples of Solomon and through the example of Esther. Help us add integrity to the list. Help us to use what we're learning right now to live great lives that honor you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So my name is Julie Landis. I'm the youth director here at Peckway Church. Um, I have the opportunity this morning just to share a little bit about our youth ministry, um, what God is doing, and also one of the needs that we have. So just a little bit about our ministry. Um, Right now, the majority, I'd say 80 to 90% of our students that come each week are from the community. Um, so the reality is that you won't see them around here on a Sunday morning at this point. Um, we have a large um, middle school group with a smaller high school group, um, but we're grateful for each one that continues to come. Um, we've seen just this year specifically that the word of Pequa Youth has spread like wildfire in Mardigville and Manor Middle School. Um, almost every week we have one or two new students coming in and that's where they're coming from because their friends are excited about what's happening and sh sharing with them um, at school. Uh, the other piece that's really unique to our group is that a lot of the students that come um, are coming from families that either don't know Jesus, they don't have an interest um, in church or knowing Jesus, um, and yet these middle school and high school students are choosing to come to church and they're choosing to have their parents bring them out um, on a Wednesday night. So it's really exciting to have um, a large group of community students coming each week. We get to expose them to the gospel. Some of them, it's the only place they're hearing um, of Jesus and just what he can do for them. I want to share one little story of a young girl that we had. Um, she started coming about a month or so ago. Um, and just recently found out that her family is one of those families that just doesn't come to church, and they don't want to, and they don't want to change that. But she heard of youth group um, and wanted to come, and she has just been one of the ones asking questions, and not just like the surface level questions, um, but just this past week we did an illustration of 
showing how the world brings sin into our lives, but then what Jesus does and washes us clean um, whenever we ask for forgiveness. And she came up and asked a question afterwards and said, is baptism the only time, is that our only chance to be washed clean? Because her, her picture of it and what she had known was that when you're baptized, that's it. That's your one chance. All your sins, like any sin after that, you're hopeless. Um, so it's just really unique opportunities with these students to um, take those times and just introduce them to the freedom that Jesus gives um, and just share those things with them. So it's exciting to see how God is working um, in their lives. A lot of them, again, like I said, are new to faith, and they're really starting to ask questions um, and want to know more. So we celebrate the work that God is doing um, in and through the group, but with that um, does come a very real need for the ministry. So we have, I don't like to base the ministry on numbers, but when we talk about the need, the reality is we have an average of 45 students each week, and including myself, we have five volunteers. And I'm so grateful for each of these volunteers. They are some of the most, most faithful um, people who love, love these students. Um, they show up each week. They're intentional about getting to know the students and build relationships. Um, but our goal as a ministry is to build those intentional relationships with students, to point them to Christ, and to be a safe space for them where they can share anything without receiving judgment. And so the, the reality is that five of us can't provide that for all 45 to 50 students um, each week. And so while, again, the team that I have does a phenomenal job of creating space for these students to come and learn about Jesus, um, we, we need more. Uh, we need to grow our leadership team. And so um, not only is this an ask for those of you that might have interest um, in helping with the ministry, because the reality is, no matter what your age, I know sometimes we can let age get in the way, but if you love Jesus, if you love teenagers, and you have a heart to see them come to know Jesus and live a life for him, then you're qualified, okay? We have a lot of fun along the way. It's not as scary as it sounds. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. But if you're not in a place where you feel like you can commit to that, I just ask that you would join us in praying um, for people to, to step up and not only just come so students can come hang out, but to really invest in the lives of the teenagers in this community. So if you're interested or if you have questions, I'll be out in the lobby this morning. Would love to talk with you. Um, but thank you for giving me a few minutes and just hearing what God is doing in our student ministry. Thank you, Julie, for sharing that with us. Um, as we are wrapping up our service, I just want to uh, remind us of giving is a way that we can worship together. And we've been sharing Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, that talks about honoring the Lord with our wealth, the first fruits of our crops. And then it, he says that our barns will be filled to overflowing and our vats will brim over with new wine. And so God's just reminding us as we make him our priority, as we give him first place, he blesses our lives. So, um, and then worship uh, by giving becomes a whole new way of living for us. So, um, but what I want to remind us of is we don't give God the leftovers. We need to give God part of that first fruit, right? That first crop is what that scripture says. And so I want to challenge us to do that. Um, because when we do, 
uh, God does bless us. And so, um, you know, that if, when that becomes our standard, if we do that in every part of our life, when that principle will work the same way. When we give God the first of our time daily, uh, we're going to experience an increase of peace throughout our whole day. And when we prioritize Him in our closest relationships, then all of our relationships benefit. So, you know, maybe if you're struggling with that, uh, trying to get your finances in order, I challenge you to go ahead and put God first and see and see what he does in your life. So, um, you know, so as we do that today, we're going to pray in just a moment, but I want to remind you of the ways that you can give today. Here in person, there are envelopes at the back of the room that you can give. Uh, there's digital ways that you can give as well. You can find that information in your bulletin. For those online, there will be a connect, uh, sorry, a link, a give link in the uh, chat window there that you can give from. And as well, you can find links at the top of the page there to get to the website uh, to be able to give uh, as well. With that green card, uh, would you drop that in the box on your way out this morning? It's not too late to fill that out. And also the connect link there that you'll find in the chat window as well. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I appreciate your patience uh, and being able to, to sing with us today. But thank you and um, for a great worship experience. Uh, God is in control. Amen. And so uh, as you go about your day, just recall those things. Recall that uh, what God's done with Joseph's life and let that encourage you as you go throughout your week. I hope to see you again next week. You guys are dismissed.